This is Aliens and Artists, part two of our conversation with Ket Torvaldsen. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Ket, you have such an omnidirectional array of interests. Your paintings are beautiful, you're a carpenter, you build houses, you're writing a book on consciousness and physics. Very divergent interests and capacities. It seems there's no limit to your curiosity and passion. Just intuitively, how much of a difference do you feel your contact and relationship with non-human entities has made in your curiosity and creativity? Well, I guess that a lot of the creativity is runs with the family. Well, I don't think that I would be making the, my book, The Creation, where physics and the consciousness meet. I think that one will never see the daylight if it, were, if it weren't for them. And I also think that because that's, since I do have the meeting with them, the reason why I was writing a hybrid storybook is because that I want to tell about my experiences with them, but also the paranormal stuff. I did write this book and came forward with my story because I wanted to help other people perhaps get less afraid of the topic because as i said earlier that a lot of times it's very natural to be afraid of things you don't know what is it's not the same as as the situation needs to be dangerous or need to be yeah awful between the ages of 10 and 30 you had mentioned there was all sorts of paranormal activity in your family There is at times this apparent affiliation between contact with non-human entities and myriad paranormal phenomena. What were the other strange experiences you had? Do you detect any link between the greys and those other events? No, I don't think that they were connected. Uh, There's so many different kind of paranormal events. Uh, You can, a lot of times, especially if you're going into houses, just an example, most of the time, the things that you are, are experiencing, that is just old memories that is repeating itself in the house. Of course, you have people from the other side or the consciousness that from, are from the other side that is a part of you, but still not a part of you, that are trying to reach out to you to make a connection with you to yeah, help you or warn you or do other things. Yeah, it's a huge topic. <laughs> Is it then attributable to your general sensitivity? On one hand, it amplifies your connection to greys, etc. On the other, it magnifies your perceptual abilities with ghosts, discarnate entities. So it's perhaps more just your natural constitution? Yes. Because here in this house here... For me, I'm very glad that I, I do have a very, very good hearing, but I'm very glad that I don't hear them talk because I know that they are talking, but I can sense them that those that are in this house, even the old baker is running up and down in the several floors here and doing his stuff. And we are just letting him stay here. Yeah, he can do his work, but I have told him that, well, the day that you are baking and I can have the sense of smell of new cooked bakery, then you're out. You're referring to the soul of a deceased person? Yeah, there, there's a lot of dead people walking around in this house, but it don't bother me. How do you create healthy boundaries between yourself and various entities in the environment? I'm referring now to what we could call maintaining spiritual hygiene. 
Many experiencers incorporate rituals and practices in order to establish filtering systems which remove unwanted presences and, or more precisely, manage the wanted presences. So what is your strategy in curating the amount and type of contact you have? No, I haven't been doing anything. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely nothing. But it does sound like you set boundaries with the spirit of the dead baker, for example. Yeah, well, the baker, he can run up and down as, as he please, but as I said, as a joke, is that everyone who smell a new baked cookie or anything like that, you will feel the hunger. You want to have a cookie. (laughs) But can you imagine if you're having that kind of sense of smell and it was from the ghost world? Can you imagine more anything more frustrating than that? So I have told him that, okay, you can do your stuff, but the day when the day comes and I can have the sense of smell of any kind of cookies, then I will get you out of my house. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, for, that's a joke. So. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I'm letting them stay because they are not doing anything harm. It's more, more or less it's just old uh, memories that is going through the house. And you know what? When we are living in our house, we are actually creating the same kind of memories in the house, in our, the space that we are living. Let's say you are coming into a person's home say that person has been very, very depressed for a long time. You can go in there. They don't need to be furniture. They don't need to be absolutely nothing in there. But you can feel that the house or the room is heavy. So that's the same thing. So you have not adopted any new behaviors or practices as a result of your contact experiences because you haven't felt that any of it has been negative or harmful to you? Is that fair to say? No. I haven't felt that I have been harmful or doing anything to be bad to me. For yeah, as I said before, I I'm comparing it with like, the dentist hour. Sometimes it's necessary, but it's not pleasant. Even if I don't see the whole picture, I still have the feeling that is going through the entire my body that tells me that they are not harming me in any kind of way. So yeah. You mentioned the word hybrid. Do you feel that you are a hybrid or you have hybrid children? First of all, I don't think that I have any kind of hybrid children. For myself, my mother, she has been joking that she has been seeing them before I was born. So perhaps she has also been joking perhaps that they have been doing something mixed with me because I am so different. We, we are three kids and I am completely different from the two others. So, <laughs> yeah. The intimacy of your sustained contact at least suggests it, but you don't have an explicit recall of involvement in the hybridization program? When it comes to the hybrid program, I, I don't know, but I have a feeling that since they have been putting all this stuff into me and helping with this downloading with astrophysics and all other things that I am supposed to go forward with, I guess that that is a, should be one step in, uh, yeah, now I don't find the English word for it. <laughs> evaluation? No, not evaluation. Evolution? Evolution, that was the name, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's not that easy. You can try to have a lecture or you can have a try to have a radio show in Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. I'm so appreciative, actually, that you're willing to do interviews in English. 
This is a slippery topic to begin with. Adding the hurdle of navigating a second language makes it doubly so. It's very impressive. You do it with such ease. Which brings to mind a cultural question. Whatever culture we're born into, there is a psychological climate, a set of worldviews and filters which we do not choose but form the conditions that we operate in. You're from Norway. What is it like in Norway in terms of the cultural, social disposition toward experiencers? Are you supported there? No. In Norway, you are not supposed to stick your nose out and do something different. You are supposed to be like everyone else, and I'm not. I have tried many years in my life to fit in and be like everyone else, but I have just realized that, well, you are not like everyone else. So the only thing you can be is just being yourself. Since they are looking at you in a weird way, even if you are trying to fit in or not, then it's the best thing to yeah, just be yourself because they will look weird at you anyway. And actually now I've been just been doing an interview a few days ago with a big newspaper here in Norway. And I'm thinking, oh God, am I really doing this? So close to home because the people, my neighbors in this town, well, there's a, I was trying to open a cafe here two years back and there was a little bit of the reputation, the rumors about me in this town. And the people that were living in this town, most of those people, they did not come because they were afraid of me or they had these superstitions or had all these kind of weird ideas about how I would be like. So uh, I just had to close down my cafe. So that tells a lot of how open-minded people are. It says a lot. It's something found across cultures, sadly, that there is a long-standing system of disincentive and punishment for anyone going public with contact experiences. Whether you're an academic or a mechanic, a pilot, school teacher, there is a tacit understanding that you can expect ridicule, ostracization, and punitive measures if you go public with your non-ordinary experiences. Yeah. You will lose income, status, stability. You'll be an outcast. Yeah. You're relating that your business failed in part because you went public as an experiencer. Have things improved at all in Norway in this respect during your lifetime? No. Things are very much the same. There are small groups that are talking about the UFO, but in the same way, they're not talking about the same thing to the neighbor because they don't dare to do it. So, so that's why I am in, well, since I am an outcast, as you call it, then. I had nothing to lose. I'm just being myself anyway. And I know that by doing it, someone has to start and go forward to do it. And then I know that others will be following because already now, even before my Norwegian book is done, I'm still waiting for it to come from the printer's office. And I've been having a commercial for it. I already now I'm getting a lot of comments on emails all over the world, actually, from people that says that they are very happy for me that I'm going forward with this and that they have someone that they, they can recognize the things that I'm talking about and helping them to see things in another perspective and what kind of people they should connect with if they have experiencing stuff. And uh, well, if you do experiencing something, don't go to your normal close friends or your normal family. Have some ice in your stomach and relax and find the right people to talk to. Because if you don't, they will really tore you down. 
Have some ice in your stomach. What an interesting turn of phrase. Is that a Norwegian idiom? Yes. Although you find the Norwegian culture remains closed to these phenomena, on a more hopeful note, you are finding a very positive reaction from people around the world who have learned of your experiences. Yes. Yeah. I was actually sending a book away here the other day till Dubai. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the last place I was expecting to send my book, but yes, till Dubai. Wow. Ket, what role, if any, do you feel artwork plays in the lives of these non-human entities? Do they create artwork? Does it matter to them? I have never seen seen them doing any kind of art, but I am thinking that art is universal. Like language, singing, pictures, beautiful art, nature. I think that's universal. What is their art like if it's universal? How can we understand what art is to them? Well, I think that that depends on how it looks like where they're living. The same way that we are inspired from the things that we are seeing around us here on Earth. So although no art is observed in the environment humans experience in abduction and contact, you feel as though in their home environments, in their native worlds, they may have artistic expression there? Yeah, I think so. But let, let me put it that way, if you turn the questions a little bit around. When we are going out on an airplane, there's not much art hanging on those walls, is there? Because it's not very practical. <laughs> so I guess it's very, it's, it's very much the same thing. Point taken. I'm so curious about this. Do you feel there's anything unique about artists in respect to these phenomena? From the perspective of a non-human entity, are there intrinsic elements of art and artistry that occupy a special place concerning contact? Well, uh, when it comes to the artist, I think that, for me, I just get a feeling it has to do with how our brains are working. We are much more open-minded. We can see more things uh, visually. When you think about my first experience that we were communicating visually. And I think that in, perhaps that can also make it easier for people that have very easily to visualize that to also to com- communicate and receive the pictures. You can see changing the topic a little bit. Instead of, let's say that I'm visualizing something with an alien, you can actually visualize things with an animal. I have seen some programs that has been very, very fascinating. Now I don't remember the name of this woman. She was incredible. And she was visualizing things. She was visualizing not words, but pictures. And perhaps few words in her head. And they were having this kind of communication between all kinds of different animals. It could be birds, dogs, tigers, leopards, all kinds of things. And it was incredible how she was doing it. I think that that has to do with how our mind operates. It's an interesting experiment in perspectives. If we put ourselves in the shoes of a non-human intelligence visiting this world, remove all the inherited filters, biases, which operate undetected for the average human being, then liberated from such fundamental prejudices and visiting this planet with that beginner's mind, What would be interesting from this new frame of reference? What may be magnetic to such 
a curiosity. Perhaps the consciousness of an obscure artist is more fascinating to them than that of a famous politician. Everyone asks, why don't they land on the White House lawn? Well, maybe that literally does not interest them. (laughs) Well, I guess they will not be communicating in the same way, because I guess that most of the politicians, they will be calling up the military and, hey, come on, save us, save us, shoot them, (laughs) destroy them, instead of going in there with an open mind and being curious. And, And the thing is that visualizing images, films, emotions, that is also universal. So you can speak with absolutely everything, even if it's animals or aliens, you can speak with them in those terms instead of you don't need the language. One of the natural byproducts of deep human creativity is an increased ability to interface with anything, with anyone. It multiplies our access to perspectives. Could be a squirrel, a disembodied soul, an alien, contemplating the entities you've had contact with, where or what do they come from? Does it even matter? No, it doesn't matter. Because as I said before, that so many people, they are so focused on the Pleiades or actors or a few other places. But we are living in a, just our universe. There are trillions, billions of galaxies and there are so many species. How many species are there on Earth itself? It's, it's insane. So when you can think about the entire universe, how many species out there that are walking on two feet or on four feet or six feet? Or, yeah, so there's such a number that we, you can't even imagine. So we are from absolutely everywhere. So where they are coming from, I never cared. What do you feel distant generations will experience as Earthlings? Broad question. But what may be the future of the human race? Well, when it comes to the future of the human race, it's actually very easy to see because, of course, now I'm very shallow when I'm saying the law of attraction. A lot of people think that that is just bollocks and things like that. But uh, if they go deeper into it and they will try it out, they will find out that it's not bollocks. So what you think your mind or you as a person, you are working as a radio antenna. So everything you think, positive or negative, that is the experiences that you will get. So if you think that, let's say, the entire human race or big parts of the human race, they are leading us in a very negative direction. So it's an extra hard job for all of us that wants to try to stay positive to attract the positive things and dragged everything in the opposite direction. So that is very interesting when you are, I guess that you also have heard about those very, very huge meditation groups that are millions of kids or monks that are meditating. And they can actually, they can be sitting on the other side of the world with apparatus that can actually measure these things that is going on. So here is the same thing again, that you can actually, as a human, you can actually decide how the future on earth will look like but if you are following the rest of the group that are very negative then you will also you should know that the future will be negative the thing is that now we are into a very negative spiral and i also know that sometimes we have to go into negative things to wake up and turn around and then continue working for more positive things 
the things like the positive and the negative goes up and down, it's very difficult to say because you can have long times with negative things, you will get new wars, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, then you can experience having good times. So we will bring Earth into a better place. So I guess that this will be like cycles that will come and go. So where we, we will be in 500 years, I don't know. Hopefully it will be a paradise, but for Earth to be a paradise, we have to change dramatically. We could actually make this Earth a paradise today, but uh, as long as we are letting the money forces decide what we are going to do and just run all over us instead of let, that we're not starting to think for ourselves and being conscious in our own heads and making our own decisions on how we want our Earth and how we want to live, then everything is going the bad way. As a corollary, do you feel non-human intelligences would intervene if, for instance, human beings attempted to initiate a nuclear war? There have been numerous instances in which these craft disarmed and disabled our nuclear weapons. The work of Robert Hastings and others have plumbed this in detail. Would these entities intervene in a conflict of that order? Well, I can't say I know. <laughs> No, I had no idea. Well, of course, they can, as I, as you said, they have been coming in and do things. But I think that, um, well, if they were sitting in Russia and, and the U.S. and pushing the button at the same time, well, I guess they will be having a hard time stopping it. Hey, it's Stuart here. After the official conversation with Ket concluded, we continued to chat, and she related to me a couple stories that I found moving. I wanted to include them here because they touch on facets that seem adjacent to contact. Ket feels clear she was a Native American in a previous life. As she shares a story about the death of a beloved horse, some interesting past life threads emerge. Then she relates an experience we might describe as a direct form of nature mysticism. I include them here as a beautiful conclusion to our conversation. Now, I was living on the west coast of Norway, and at that time, I had four horses. One of them was a quarter from the U.S., and he was a beautiful horse. One day, I was going to get them inside to the stable. Then three of my horses, they, was com they were coming running, but she didn't. She was standing up there, and she was struggling to move. And then I could see that one of her back legs was destroyed, because one of the other horses had kicked her badly. And she had bad legs from before, so I knew that her days was over. So I had to call the vet and the butcher for them to come. And I was sitting in my office, and I was feeling so bad, because this was so wrong. And when I was sitting there, then this vision appeared in front of my eyes. I could see myself as an Indian. I did not see my face. I saw myself from behind, and I was holding around the neck of a horse, and I could also see other Indians around me. But then in the next second, there is this old, old Indian man standing just a half, perhaps a meter in front of me. I see his upper body and his face. And he's looking me straight in the eyes and he says, you don't leave your beloved ones in death to strangers. Then he, then he was gone. So I knew what I had to do. So I told my boyfriend that, well, when the butcher comes, I have to do the job. And he said, oh, there's rules for this, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know what? I don't care about the rules. This is how things is going to happen. 
So he called the butcher and he told him what I, I have said. And the butcher said, well, he had been working with this for 30 years and never experienced anything like it. But if no one would know, then it was okay. So he, he came to the house. He gave me the nail gun and he showed me what to do. And then they both left. When it comes to me, my emotions, I was put myself on the hold because I was not important because I knew that the horse would trust me. And I also knew that the horse would read me like an open book. So my feelings was put aside. So I was able to get her out, of, out and give her some food. And then I put my one hand over one of her eyes and asked her to forgive me. And then I pulled the trigger. So she was gone and in one second and she trusted me to the till the end. So she was completely relaxed and having a peace of mind and just poof, it, it was over. So after that, then I could go inside to my office and then I could scream. But you know what? I had never, ever regretted it. And uh, I knew that this is the way you are supposed to do it. So I told this story to this uh, Cheyenne woman and she, she was uh, tears in her eyes and she said, well, that's the same thing we would say. I had a very nice experience out here in the backyard of this house some years back. I was sitting out there having a relaxing and, yeah, enjoying sitting there in the shadow. And then I was sitting there and I was seeing these little white dots starting to coming up from the ground and up following the tree. And then there become more and more of them. And then they were falling out to the branches. And at the end, they were going all the way out to the leaves. So I was actually sitting there and I was seeing the energy of life going from the ground all the way up through the tree and out into the leaves. It was a fascinating to watch. Later on, I was lucky to see, it's like when you are, you have seen the pictures of when the people are taking pictures of flowers. I think it's, is it infrared or black light they're using when you're seeing the different colors? So I think to myself that, wow, it's so beautiful. I just wish that I could actually one day being that privileged that I can walk into the forest and I can see the entire forest in this way. I have been given a glimpse. So one day I'm hoping to, to actually experience that. So you remember the film, The Avatar? When they are showing that from the night, when they are seeing all these fluorescent things, it looks so fantastic. And I'm thinking, you know what? You don't need to go to Avatar, another planet, to see things like this. We are actually having this incredible life on Earth around us. But for us, most people, they're just seeing a tree and that's it. And they're just passing the tree. And they're not even thinking about the incredible life that are this tree. If you go out to the forest one day and you sit down and you are stroking your hand gently over moss, you will not hear it. But if someone could measure it, the moss actually start singing. So we are living in this incredible world. As humans, we are destroying it big time. And it, that, is, that makes me feeling so sad. But you know what? Let's say that they were landing here. Well, half of the population will say, hello, nice to meet you. It, this will be interesting. The other half, they will go to war. Instead of having the war amongst ourselves, we will go a war against them instead. So we have all that. The, the thing that we need to do is that we need to be awakened as a human species. Because we are not awake at all. And for me, I think that the implants or the things that they have been doing, they have been helping me to open up. And I can see so many things that I have been experiencing over the years that they have been showing me glimpse and glimpse and glimpse 
of what our mind are able or capable to do. And I'm feeling so privileged to all the things that I have been experiencing. So I'm seeing the world in a so completely different way than most other people are doing. I, for here, every time, every morning, I'm walking my dog, and there I'm going under a train bridge. There's also a normal road there. And when it has been raining, there's a lot of snails, big snails with the big houses on their back. And I can see them. They are in the road. They are on the pavement. They are all around their area, a little area there. And for me, it looks like that people are trying their best to drive over them with cars or motorbikes, or they will step on them, or they will do all kinds of things. You know what? If I see a snail in the middle of the road, I'm going out there in the middle of the road, and I pick them up, and I take them gently over to the side and try to put them in a place safe. It's important for me to step forward to do the things that I'm doing because I am talking about my close encounters, yes, but I'm also talking about how to wake up, how to see the world in a different way, how to look at them in a different way. And yeah, a lot of it. Look at things in a different way that they are normally doing, but also sharing a lot of things that I'm experiencing, like the things that when I was seeing the, the, the life in nature, growing up through the trees or the, the flowers or things like that or yeah all the wonderful things that you can experience and everyone else can experience it Ket's book A Hybrid Story is available in English Italian and Norwegian in paperback and also as an ebook. her website kettorvaldsen.com you will find a link in our show notes expect her forthcoming book on physics and consciousness soon On the grounds of Montesfront Abbey, which is a national priory in the United Kingdom, there is an alien. Since September 2015, this invader has had its head buried in the English soil, while its feet dangle skyward. Alien is a massive humanoid being, five times the size of a normal person. Its head embedded in soil. British artist David Brower Vile sculpted it in 2012. His intention is to evoke, quote, the shock of an alien landing in the heart of London and taking everybody by surprise. Every new work of art should be like an alien landing, something sudden and unexpected. Extraterrestrials are completely human, maybe just different in scale, end quote. My favorite thing about the sculpture is that the head is buried. With no face or features to identify the being or its heritage, the submerged cranium invites the imagination to project and create an identity. For me personally, it nudged me to envision all the human beings which contactees have reported on craft, working alongside greys and other non-human entities. Travis Walton's experience is a salient example. Walton and five of his co-workers famously had a close encounter at the end of a long day doing forestry work. Walton ran under the craft. A beam of energy hit him, knocked him out. He woke up on the craft, alone. He struggled to find an escape. He was momentarily thwarted by greys. He responded violently, attempting to kill or injure them. The greys fled, 
Travis continued his desperate effort to find escape. Then, two human beings found him. He believed, because they were human like him, that they were there to help him escape. Nope. They simply took him to another part of the craft, where more human-looking beings were working. Except, none of the ostensible humans Walton encountered on this craft spoke aloud. All communication was telepathic, just as with greys and mantids, and their allegiance was eventually shown to be likely in line with the non-human entities Walton initially battled on that craft. I realized Travis Walton's experiences were probably not what Brouwervile hoped to elicit in viewers when he sculpted his alien, but it's what arose in me. It conjured questions about what ultimately makes anyone alien to anyone else. Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse. The Liminal Muse was created by me, Stuart Davis, to provide one-on-one -on -one sessions integrating creative and spiritual paths. These sessions address issues and questions ranging from paranormal experiences to creativity, self-discovery, and healing. Go to theliminalmuse.com to book a session. Friend, I am with you when you cry Closer to your face than the water in your eyes Cry, those tears become my own I know that you are homesick even though you're home I whisper in Always fall, the heart is all there is.